Hello, everyone, and thanks for giving us your time today for VR Download. In case you're new here, each week we meet in virtual reality using the latest technologies to discuss the next generation of personal computing. My name is Ian Hamilton, and I'm in the United States, joined by my colleague David Heaney over here from Northern Ireland. VR brings us together into this broadcast studio where we've got multiple automatic cameras, a TV to show images and videos to our viewers, and we can see live comments from YouTube on our tablets. We syndicate VR Download out to all podcast platforms and encourage our audience to become members and subscribe to our work as we continue charting the next steps of personal computing. Heaney, what do we have today? Today, we're going to talk about Meta's AI research on body tracking without the need for external worn trackers or sensors. We're going to talk about hand tracking 2.0 coming to the original Oculus Quest, Microsoft starting deliveries of the highly modified militarized HoloLens, Rec Room's Unity integration for creators and what that might mean for that platform. And finally, our main topic at the end will be Pico 4, its announcement, how it compares to Quest 2, and what it means for the VR market. Yeah, surprisingly big week for news. Uh, didn't really expect all these things to hit. And if people are wondering why we've changed times, I've had a scheduling conflict, so we're broadcasting a little bit earlier. And uh, you ready to get into this first subject? Hi, sadly, it's Bradley, Bluebell, Jake, Onakazi. Let's see who else is tuning in. Vargosoft, D1360. Thank you all, Daniel, Funky Sloth. Uh, Meta's AI research on body tracking without the yep. need for trackers. This is a big one, Heaney. Yeah, I was just going to just respond to Jakey in the comments first. You say, what's so much better about Pico 4? That's a great question. Stick with us because that is going to be, as I said, our main topic at the end. But first, we're going to obviously talk about that uh, groundbreaking research paper that came out this week. Uh, Meta's AI researchers are generating a plausible body pose from just the Quest 2 controllers and headset. They're not running an algorithm on the cameras to look at your body. They're not using any extra cameras. This is literally just the position and rotation of your head and hands are fed into this model. And the output is the, the position that it thinks that your limbs are in the body pose. Now, this is obviously something that no one expected. Uh, in VR, you do have already an estimation of your body position called inverse kinematics. In any game you use today where you have a body, that's what's happening. But that's almost always wrong, especially when it comes to your legs, because it really has no idea where your legs are. There are too many potential positions for your legs to be in based on each given set of headset and hand controller positions for it to ever come out with a plausible answer. For elbows, it can be a little bit better. And you can see, obviously, that's what we're using right now. But if I rotate my elbow through a full arc right now, it's not being represented at all in my virtual elbow. Even the state-of-the-art inverse kinematics just can't deliver on what we're seeing here, which is a, a neural network figuring out what is the most plausible pose. So before you get too excited here, there are some major caveats. The first is latency. This has a latency of 160 milliseconds, which is 11 frames at 72 hertz, the default of Quest 2. That means this really isn't suitable for first person, even if it was perfectly accurate, which it isn't. Because as you can clearly see here, the position of the 
avatar hands don't actually match the exact position of your controllers. This is designed to, to produce a plausible full body pose, not to precisely match your hands. So you may wonder, what is the potential use of this then? If it's got high latency and it doesn't actually match your hands, which would be very uncomfortable in VR, what's the point? Well, it seems based on comments we saw a few weeks ago from Meta CTO that the point of this is for third-person avatars, i.e. seeing the full body of others in social VR rather than your, your own body when you look down. One of the things Meta has been criticized the most for is its legless avatars, where you only have an upper body. And the justification for that has always been that they can't come up with a plausible uh, lower body pose without extra sensors. So this research is demonstrating that actually, yes, they can. Yeah, Heaney and I oh, have been using uh, hand tracking in here for quite a while. And uh, Heaney was originally using hand tracking 1.0, 2.0. And I suppose it's the next subject. I didn't uh, actually think of that before I brought this up. But we were talking, Heaney, about using the Spock fingers. And on the earlier version of hand tracking, I was able to really separate my uh, third and fourth fingers to do the Live Long and Prosper. But on Hand Tracking 2.0, the latest version, I wasn't able to do that. But overall, the hand tracking is much, much better. But there's little things like that that might be a little bit uh, of a regression. And it's interesting to think that that might be some similarity here in just uh, tuning various machine learning algorithms for very different purposes so yeah here's a machine learning algorithm that's able to show you someone else's avatar uh in full body but it could be a mismatch in little ways that make it not suitable for actually wearing it yourself but at the end of the day it's it's tuned for a very specific purpose that is going to solve a very big problem for a lot of people yeah, it's still far preferable to see something like this in social VR than it would be to see their kind of legless upper body. As we always demonstrate in the show and get ready to be freaked out if you haven't seen this before, the current meta avatars do not have lower bodies. We are just flo floating torsos. <laughs> and that's one of the things that meta knows it's been criticized for. So if this paper is going to be suitable for release anytime soon. I'm seeing Guy Godin in our comments, the developer of Virtual Desktop, saying that he feels it's pointless to release this kind of research demos until it's an actual feature ready to release. I think that's a good point. And a lot of people, if you're not familiar with the context of AI research, and, and if you're just a general tech user or consumer looking at something like this, I, I do take your point in that it could be misleading. But you have to understand, these researchers have always done this. This is how the field of academic research works, and it's how the field of machine learning research works, whether it be Google or Microsoft or Meta, or even in recent years, Apple. These researchers join these companies on the condition that they are allowed to be part of the open publishing ecosystem. So I don't expect to see that stop at any time. But yeah, it'll be really interesting to see whether at Connect on October 11th, we see the announcements of something like this. But I once again want to clarify, this would not be suitable for looking down and seeing your own body. It would be for looking and seeing other avatar bodies. And Guy had a follow-up comment there asking how much of the CPU, GPU is it using? Can it be used in apps and games today or in a year? Probably not. Is that a fair assumption you think there, Heaney? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, there's it's fair in one way and not in another. So Machine learning research papers tend to run on expensive PC GPUs at a relatively low frame rate. This paper, for some reason, didn't actually mention its runtime performance. But 
the thing about machine learning then is that once something is demonstrated in a paper, over the next one, two, three years, the compute cost of making it work tends to reduce by orders of magnitude. The, the, the neural networks that are used in your phone to recognize your speech or an Alexa to talk to you used to run on $3,000 GPUs and now they run on your smartphone. And as another commenter point out, uh, if I can find this comment, um, I'm not sure who the commenter was, but another commenter pointed out that the mobile chips that are used in headsets like Quest 2 and Pico have dedicated hardware acceleration for machine learning tasks. So when it does come, it's very unlikely to be one of those things that takes a significant percentage of CPU or GPU. Instead, it would run on the NPU, the neural processor. And one of the fastest growing performance specs of these mobile is that neural processor. So even if it wasn't something that's suitable to come in a headset like Quest 2, in future headsets with better chips, uh, assuming that they have a more powerful neural processor, these kind of tasks will be able to be done over time. Yeah. Uh, we ready to move on to hand tracking 2.0? Because I think that's a, it's actually a good segue to that because uh yeah sorry what was our comment you want to get to yeah you know i just i just uh want to point out that people are talking again about this idea of using the quest pro controllers with their cameras to for body tracking this is something that's always brought up and the issue with those particular controllers is that yes they have cameras on them but they're pointing the wrong way one of the cameras is pointing up and another is pointing literally the opposite direction from you but what I will say here is that seeing this happen, seeing this being possible with only this limited input data makes me significantly more optimistic for the future of completely standalone body tracking. The idea that sensors in the nose gap pointing down combined with cameras on the controllers could come to a very, uh, could be used to produce a very realistic full body result. Because if you can get this with only the head and hand positions, imagine what a powerful neural network could reconstruct with even limited input data from the cameras on the controllers and the cameras on the headset. So this, regardless of what this means in the short term and the long term, this makes me significantly more optimistic for body tracking in VR. Yeah, it is a fairly, fairly big deal. If you think about the number of people that uh, do have full body tracking over on PC, they've gone and gotten the trackers from HTC Vive and then they go into VR chat and do, I don't know, dance uh, or uh, all sorts of other things with uh, full body tracking. But it's it's not a significant number because of all that extra added cost. But I, I'll still argue that even though it's a small number of people, they're actually some of the most engaged VR users. Like these are people who use VR for the n most number of hours. And they've had to jump through incredible number of hoops to get that full body tracking up and running. But it, it ends up being this, this thing that people really want, and the tech is just so limiting. So it's, it's, if this can be done without additional sensors on hardware that's just in the price range of Quest 2 and Pico, then you're talking uh, like a multiplier in just the amount of addressable market, right? Yeah, and that's the point that developers can then start to build games and apps that actually use and rely on this. Because that is even today, if you do go out and spend $400 on body trackers, there's like five apps you can use them in. The vast majority of games do not support that. And 
that's simply because developers have very limited time and very limited resources, and they have to prioritize the features that their user base actually have. That was one of the things we found when the Valve Index released. Its controllers were heralded, and rightly so, for it, their innovative features, but the majority of developers couldn't justify putting in the R's to support it because there just were so few people that had them at the time. So it'll be a really, really encouraging thing to see what are the new types of games and experiences that developers can build in the long-term future when body tracking is default on VR systems. We're ready to move on to hand tracking now because the reason I think it's a good segue is that it is coming to the original Oculus Quest. So this is just, what, uh, maybe half a year after it launched on the Quest 2, this this better tracking system that Heaney was able to add to our studio here that gets most of our finger positions in all sorts of ways. Uh, and now it's running on the Quest, the original headset. So uh, I think when you talk about the models running on lower and lower hardware over time, this this is a little bit of an argument as, as that being the case, isn't it, Heaney? Yeah, a lot of people expected that hand tracking 2.0 was perhaps made possible by the Snapdragon XR2 chip that's in the Quest 2. And the Quest 1 uses a significantly older chip, the Snapdragon 835. So it's unclear whether this was something that was always possible on the 835 and Meta didn't prioritize it, or if in the time since hand tracking 2.0 came to Quest 2, that was back in early May, Meta has managed to optimize it further. If it is the latter, then that is, as you say, a great example of how machine learning optimization happens to a great degree and very rapidly and unlike anything in conventional computing. And if you're not familiar with hand tracking 2.0, as you can see in this video here, it was an update released to Quest 2's hand tracking that can better handle your hands moving quickly, one hand covering the other, and even your hands touching together. So this was something that was just not previously possible. You can see the way my hands are actually still tracked moving while they're touching together. Previously on this show, your hands would just either disappear or just be completely locked as your hands touch together. So... This is still an opt-in feature for developers. And the reason for that is because some older apps designed custom hand tracking quality filtering algorithms to work around the limitations of the old hand tracking. But Meta says that in December, hand tracking 2.0 will become the default. And in April, it will become the only. So there will be no such thing as hand tracking 1.0. And this current tracking will be the only thing from April. Yeah, I'm seeing people talk a lot about Pico in our comments. I think we're going to get that to get to that into the end of the show. So uh, if we don't address your question when we start getting to that Pico subject, remind us what your big question is and what uh, you want us to get into. There is a lot of discussion out there about Pico, and we're going to definitely dive into it. Any comments there that we should respond to? Hello, Anthony. And I saw the joke. I uh, can't remember who it was, but uh, I think it was Adam, who's been a very long-time viewer, joking about Taco Bell Wi-Fi when our show went <laughs> offline earlier. So I appreciate that reference to a very early episodes and the problems we were having. Any comments to get into, Heaney? Yeah, D1360VR points out the Quest 2 also has a 60 hertz mode for hand tracking as the default runs at 30 hertz. You're right, but Meta actually told us that hand tracking 2.0 supersedes the high frequency hand tracking mode, as that was called. So the high frequency hand tracking mode was a way to work around the limitations of hand tracking 1.0, but it came at a pretty uh, harsh cost. It actually did take up CPU and GPU resources so that developers had less available. Uh, with hand tracking 2.0, you don't have that trade-off. 
So Meta would say to just use this without the high frequency mode. Yeah, uh, there is, yeah, James saying, glad to see Meta still supporting a Gen 1 product. I did not expect it. That is a very, you know, big comment there where they Meta has very much uh, end of life to old things and not updated them. But it's it's pretty big at this age of that headset's life cycle with, you know, a small number of headsets. You know, Meta has been a very, what are they, the term they use, ruthless prioritization. Uh, so they tend to focus on the biggest wins for them. Uh, so ha- the fact that this is still uh, being supported with this update is a pretty big win for those people out there still on Quest 1. Oh, also, uh, sound off in the comments with what country you're tuning in from. I love that. I uh, would really love to keep seeing where everyone is watching us from. Ready to talk about Microsoft, Heaney? Yeah, let's talk about this one. So Microsoft has started deliveries of the highly modified militarized HoloLens. Heaney, I know you follow this stuff very closely. Why don't you walk us through what this headset is capable of and how it differs from the consumer line HoloLens, well, not even consumer line, the business line HoloLens 2. Yeah, so this is arguably the most advanced see-through AR headset on the planet. This is called the HoloLens IVAS, I-V-A-S. It has a significantly wider field of view than what you'd see in the HoloLens 2. Some people informally refer to this as HoloLens 3, but I don't think that's ever been used by Microsoft or anyone officially. This was first created as part of a U.S. Army contract worth $21.88 billion maximum over the next 10 years with a maximum eventual order of 120,000 units. So that would be a significant percentage of the U.S. Army eventually wearing these in the best case scenario for this contract. Microsoft had first won the contract in 2018 for prototype units, but the evaluation had found the hardware wasn't rugged enough for military use and find all sorts of problems with the sensors. So in the years since, they spent a lot of time and money upgrading this thing. You can see a huge array of sensors at the top that just aren't present in any of the uh, any of the regular HoloLens headsets. And the field of view is actually 80 degrees uh, horizontal, which I don't think I've ever heard of a AR headset having that, except for uh, Leap Motion's Project North Star, which was kind of a much wider uh, physical unit than this. It came all the way out to the side of your head. So the original order of 500 or 5,000 finalized units was made last year, but it was placed on hold following further concerns about the device's performance. But now Bloomberg has reported that in August, the US Army has approved the first order of these units. And in case you're wondering what on earth is this used for, the use cases they list are overlaying icons on friendly units, objectives, threats, and points of interest, just like you're in a video game, built-in night vision and thermal view modes, so you don't have to use a separate uh, optic for that. You don't have to kind of carry around a separate thing or you know, uh, flip down that. It's just a software mode you toggle on and off. A live picture-in-picture feed from a drone, including the solar-borne sensor, the SBS, which is a project to give many U.S. Army soldiers their own tiny little drone so they can throw it up into the air and look, uh, get reconnaissance at very close range, and they would see a little a feed of that 
in their AR headset. Simulated weapons and enemies for training exercises, so you can reduce the cost of training and do training more frequently. Scanning nearby people for high temperature, which was a requirement that was added, obviously, in the era of uh, the pandemic being a significant issue for the US Army. And facial recognition for hostage rescue situations. So a final test report of the device's performance is coming in October. And then based on that, the Army will decide, based on Congress's opinion and approval, whether to go through with the full contract or at least the next stage of it. I'm seeing viewers out there from the UK, Sweden, Canada, Australia, Pennsylvania, Ireland, Brazil, Netherlands, Denmark, Canada, I said already, India, Michigan, Germany. Wow, that's a very global audience. Thank you all for tuning in. Can't wait to have you all in our studio eventually. I saw people's reaction in the comments the moment you put this image up, Heaney, of this just, uh, I don't even know, it's not fair to call it steampunk. It's not steampunk, but it's it looks uh, extremely eye-catching. And I almost wonder what the value is to the U.S. military as a recruiting tool to uh, have something like this that uh, you can put on your head if you join up. Um, you know, VR and AR, uh, obviously, people like to hone in on the way these things bring people together for uh, social interactions from far away. Uh, but some of the very first uses of VR technology were for training, for similar use cases as as this. And uh, I really like that you quoted what uh, the, the Microsoft CEO said, because there was actually a lot of internal debate uh, inside Microsoft's ranks about whether the the company should be supplying this and working with micro, with with the U.S. military uh, on this. Can you read off that comment, Heaney? Do you have it uh, handy by chance? I don't have it in my notes, but I can bring it up here. I have it on. I think it's a very newsworthy and notable to yeah. get it on the record that uh, what Microsoft said in their sort of choice to yeah, uh, obviously get $20 billion in their pocket if they uh, actually see this out to fruition, but uh, the underlying reasoning uh, supporting that decision. Yeah, so as Ian said, there was a lot of pushback from Microsoft internal employees given this. Some of them had ethical concerns about working with the U.S. military. And, you know, there's there's arguments to me there that they didn't sign up for, to be a defense contractor. They didn't think that they would be involved in this. But the Microsoft CEO uh, responded by saying, we made a principled decision that we're not going to withhold technology from institutions that we have elected in democracies to protect the freedoms we enjoy. And obviously went through that contract. You can take that two ways. You can either take it at face value and say that that is his view, or you can take it from the kind of business perspective in that this is a contract worth up to $22 billion. So of course he's going to say that. Which one of those two views you take is up to you. Yeah. We ready to move on to the next subject. Let us know if you have yeah. any comments. Um, but just going to uh, reply to one comment here. Uh, James O'Loughlin saying, I think Magic Leap 2 has 72 degrees field of view. Yeah, that's diagonal. Uh, th when I say 80 degrees, this is horizontal. This is significantly wider than any other see-through AR headset we've seen. I think Magic, 2, Magic Leap 2's vertical field of view is roughly similar to this, but the actual horizontal width of this is just far, far beyond what Magic Leap 2 has. So let's keep in mind, Magic Leap 2 
is a product that's designed to ship for a couple of thousand dollars. We don't know the price of this thing. It's very possible that this is tens of thousands of dollars a unit. In fact, I would bet on it being, and it could even theoretically be something as high as $100,000. We do not know the actual unit pricing because even if you just look at that contract and divide it by the units, you have to add all of the kind of fixed costs and maintenance and support onto it. So you can't just get a number out of that. Uh, tactical. I think that's the word to describe. This is a tactical AR headset. I think that's a that's that's a definite yeah. tactical look. So I, I think yeah. that's the way we'll refer to that going forward. Maybe the main we're ready use to talk about this, rec room. Yeah, I was just going to say the main use of this is for situational awareness in a battlefield situation. It's so that you go from having to mentally coordinate where is where are all my friendlies, where are the enemies, where is the objective, to, uh, and doing that over the radio to just having that information in front of you, and theoretically that should allow for better decisions and for less friendly fire and for more coordinated military operations. Yeah, and Guy Godin making the comment that when taxpayers foot the bill, it can be as expensive as you want. And uh, Guy is from Canada. He made the joke up earlier that uh, he's from the U.S. with health care. Uh, that's the way he described Canada. So uh, let's talk about Rec Room's Unity integration. So Rec Room is rolling out a new application on PC, Rec Room Studio, I believe is what it is called, which is made in partnership with Unity, and it could lead to much higher fidelity virtual worlds. I, uh, Heaney and I were talking about this story, and Rec Room sent out a press pack of worlds that are recently coming to Rec Room. And there were things like uh, what looked like a very cool portal world provided in these screenshots, and uh, obviously didn't have the portal name on it, but it very clearly looked like portal. And uh, the worlds looked well lit, they looked dynamic, but critically, they weren't made with this new Rec Room Studio software. And uh, I asked Rec Room if they could tell us or show us demonstrations of what possible in this. And the only thing they could say was that their new Rec Room original, I believe it's called Showdown, that world was built in this tool. Keeney, why don't you walk us through uh, what this means for Rec Room, but also how this fits into this larger battle going on between the platforms? Well, it's important to note that this has only been announced. This isn't something that's actually shipped yet. It's not something we've had a chance to try. And as you said, we haven't seen any good examples of what's made with it. Today in Rec Room, you have the Rec Room Originals, which are made you know, in Unity by the Rec Room staff. And then you have their in-VR creator tools, which are made inside virtual reality using your controllers and their visual scripting system. This aims to provide a middle ground where any creator can use Unity to get higher fidelity textures, custom textures, uh, custom audio, all of the features that you wouldn't have available in the NVR editor. And in, in many ways, that's quite similar to VR chat in that, you know, VR chat worlds are made in Unity and then exported because all of these apps are fundamentally running Unity. But I don't think it's, from what we understand, it's not going to be to the same level of freedom that VR chat gives you. Rec Room's still trying to restrict what you can do, not out of any sense of moderation, but just out of the sense of making sure that things uh, work performantly on all platforms and that there aren't any kind of issues. Because the more freedom you give people, the more amazing, incredible things they can create, but also the more that's going to hamper the performance of the people who are actually using it. So... The, the obvious kind of question here is where that fits in to what Meta is showing with Horizon Worlds. With Horizon Worlds, you only have 
in VR creations. There are no, as far as I'm aware, meta originals. Everything is made within that editor. And meta strategy so far is that everything in Horizon Worlds should be able to be created in VR so that any user can take any of the templates that exist or any of the worlds that exist and modify them and kind of build what they want for themselves. I wonder if we'll see Meta take this same approach over time, maybe not specifically with Unity, but with some sort of uh, PC desktop or web-based editor. Because the problem with NVR creation is you do miss out on those things like custom textures, like custom signs, like custom models that you can't as easily create in VR because 2D regular creation workflows on PC you know, have decades of experience and refinement. And that's what all of the animation uh, experts and modelers are used to working with. That's how, you know, if you want to produce a texture, you produce it in Photoshop. You can't just kind of use an NVR painting tool to create many textures. But the counterpoint there is that we're seeing a groundbreaking thing happen to asset creation right now, which is machine learning. The generative models that can create today textures, you know, in the same way that, you know, DALI and Stable Diffusion can create textures. But over time, we're going to be able to see those sort of tools create 3D models, as, as NVIDIA actually demonstrated last week. And maybe then we'll be able to see it create signs and all of the other assets that you need. And so theoretically, those things could be done from within VR. But in the short term, this is going to let the everyday creator in Rec Room build things that they simply could not make in Horizon Worlds. Yeah, I was talking about the larger competition here going on between Meta and Rec Room. And obviously, Rec Room benefits from being on Meta's platform, and Meta's platform benefits from Rec Room being there. But there's multiple layers to these competitive you know, companies. You've got these amazing avatars that are possible in VR chat, whereas Rec Room has taken a choice uh, in another direction with their avatars, but they're still adding things to it. There's another multiplayer application out there, Museum of Other Realities over on Steam. I love it, where they showcase VR art all the time, but they have taken the approach of making the avatars in there the absolute smallest number of polygons possible just simple simple shapes that move when you talk and stuff like that in order to save all of the performance for the art in the world so if someone has made a cool piece of art there's a very and it's only on pc only there's a very good chance that they can port it over and get it running in museum of other realities without much uh optimization needed to the work but the obviously the drawbacks of all that is you don't get those things running on standalone systems. Uh, we've obviously got things like cloud streaming coming. Uh, I talked to Alex, the uh, developer who has been doing the experimentations with Unreal Engine. And uh, yeah, the argument is that streaming is only going to get faster over time. And these lines between these things are going to dissipate and you'll get low resolution stuff in certain situations but you'll still be comfortable and you'll still be able to do some of this interoperability it's just these companies like rec room and vr chat and meta are trying to reach the largest number of people in the shortest amount of time and when i think about the competitive situation here i do think rec room is probably in the lead uh, you know, VR chat has this incredible stuff that they're able to do on PC only, but rec room is on 
every platform I can think of. They're on mobile phones, they're on consoles, they're in VR, and they're flat screen. And they've been able to achieve, I think in this recent thing they announced, over 80 million lifetime users. So just significant numbers of people who are using Rec Room. And then uh, everything I've seen out of Horizon Worlds is there are creators interested in Horizon Worlds who are sort of taking a bet on it and betting longer term. But I'm not seeing large numbers of engaged users at the same scale that even VR Chat has or Rec Room sees at an entirely different level. And then there's, of course, Roblox to consider, right, Heaney? There has been some amazing things done in Roblox, hasn't there? Yeah, Roblox is obviously similar in that it's a user-generated platform, a content platform, but its VR support is far, far lacking compared to something like VR Chat or Rec Room or Horizon Worlds, and it's only on PC VR. If Rec Room were to come to standalone headsets, sorry, if Roblox were to come to standalone headsets, that would be a significant change in the market. But it seems very unlikely because it does come back to this whole problem we're talking about. This line between how much creative and technical freedom you give creators and how many users the content that those creators uh, produce can actually reach. The vast majority of Roblox content is simply far too poorly optimized to run on a standalone headset. And that's the bet that Rec Room and Meta are making in that they're betting that if you give creators enough to build incredible worlds but not so much freedom that they can tank the performance of standalone headsets that over time they will win because the majority of people will be on these standalone headsets as they already are and if standalone continues to improve eventually it'll get to the point where you know today the ratio of standalone to pc uh, active users may be something like 10 to 1 but eventually it could be something like 100 to 1 and the vr chat strategy of you know, just having these two siloed versions of the PC version and the Quest version may not work out so well in a world where 100 users are on standalone and one are on PC. And so then VRChat would essentially be, in, as it already is in a way, in two siloed worlds. I don't think people talk about this enough. There really isn't one VRChat. There are two very different VRChats, VRChat PC worlds and VRChat Quest worlds and VRChat PC avatars and VRChat Quest avatars. And a lot of comparisons you see between VRChat and Rec Room and Horizon completely ignore that fact. And you end up seeing people compare the highest fidelity VRChat worlds and avatars that run on a high-end NVIDIA GPU against the Rec Room and Horizon worlds that run at 90 hertz on a Quest 2. And that's just not a fair comparison. And that's going to be more and more clear in the long term. Yeah, definitely. I hate the little Venn diagram that is in VR chat where they show the, you know, whether this world works on just one or it works on the other, or if it's, you know, got an overlap, it is uh, not a great experience to kind of realize that you can't run certain things on your device. And, uh, I, I do think though about branding, right? That's, that's a problem that they could solve if you've got a large enough user base on one system you could kind of brand something separate from the the other area but that doesn't really fit with what vr chat's trying to do is it uh and i'm seeing james uh making this uh comment about streaming he asked a question of what's the state of streaming for regular gaming in terms of popularity in terms of popularity i think that's a good question a very core question because i've tried you know things like xbox streaming and it works well, but even an occasional hiccup in five or ten minutes of gaming is enough to like make me not want to use it again. And 
if that happens in a VR headset, that's potentially a you know a put the headset away for a couple of weeks type situation. Uh, you don't come back to the headset because the cloud streaming failed you, and you just don't want to experience that again. There's a whole you know the the bar to putting on that headset is just so much higher. So I, I'd be curious to see if cloud streaming is is going to take off short term or if that's just a very much longer term thing. We ready well, to talk seems, about our last big subject next? Well, we're going to cover this first. It certainly seems like cloud streaming is becoming very, very popular. Xbox streaming is is clearly becoming popular. It's being integrated into the latest TV so that it's just an app. And you know, Xbox seems to see themselves in the long term as just being one another app on smart TV platforms. Internet connections are only going to get better and better over time. A lot of businesses that people thought once weren't viable became viable when internet connections started to catch up. And you have to realize that, yes, if you are someone who already can afford or viably own a console, like a real Xbox or a real PlayStation 5, cloud streaming isn't going to be as appealing to you. The real market that Microsoft is eyeing here is not the 100 million people that already own consoles, but the 2 billion that would like to own a console, but either aren't in the living situation where they always have you know, a television uh, in a suitable uh, living setup to use one or can't afford one, and but they do have a smartphone. People who see a game on Xbox or PlayStation that they want to play, but don't want to invest hundreds of dollars into an Xbox or PlayStation just for that one game. I think over time, we'll likely see a situation where, again, it's like standalone versus PC and VR. The vast majority of people are going to be using these cloud streaming platforms rather than owning a physical console, but you're still going to get the best quality on these on, on owning a real local machine. As for the you know, hitches, that's something that can be smoothed out over time. In VR, I think if cloud streaming is going to be popular, it can't just be the old manual method of sending a raw texture to be put on the headset. It has to be something a little smarter than that. There's got to be some sort of depth information sent so that if the signal does drop for one or two seconds, the headset can still reproject with positionally aware depth data so that you don't have the situation where you literally feel like you're going to throw up because it's locked to the same image for two seconds. And I believe NVIDIA's cloud streaming technology is built that way. It's built to prioritize your head comfort first, as I understand it. But obviously, I think it could still drop out on you at some point. So rotationally, yes, all systems do that today, where just like there's been time warp since the very first uh, Oculus developer kits, you know, a few months into the release of those, they can reproject your heads, your head position rotationally so that if your image freezes but you're looking left it will skew the image to the left so it doesn't seem like your image has completely frozen but when it comes to position these systems don't currently send a depth buffer there's no way that if you're leaning to the left and your image cuts the world will seem as if it locks as you as that image is cutting out uh it's possible in the future we see more depth aware systems, but it will need to be something that's integrated by the developers. One of the decisions that Stadia and Xbox streaming have decided to make, which I don't think is a good idea long-term, but they obviously have it for the reason of making developers uh, adopt it more, is that they don't want to have a specific SDK developers integrate. They want this to run on the entire Xbox library, or they want developers to be able to port over without putting in engine-level effort. If you do require developers to put in engine-level effort, and there is deep integration into the game, you can do a lot more things, and that's how I expect streaming to come to VR. I don't think this is going to be one of those things 
in the long term that you just kind of toggle it on with the entire Steam VR library. I think developers are going to be asked to put uh, these SDKs designed for streaming into their games. And even something that's very promising is the idea of rendering the controllers locally. So you have the entire world outside you rendered on the PC in the cloud, but your standalone system is still rendering your controllers so that your hands are always responsive regardless of what happens to the signal. Yeah, and that sort of leads me to the last thing on my mind with this subject, which is that uh, I'm wondering, to that question of James asking about current gaming and its popularity, I'll be curious if these platforms fall in with like certain use cases that become the reason you go to that particular place. So certain genres of content might be good fitting over time for certain choices made here. Uh, Fast-paced multiplayer first-person shooters aren't going to be great to play over cloud streaming, whereas lighter weight uh, turn-based things might be a perfect fit in that sort of format. And so you could potentially have certain certain choices made here that make uh, certain types of these trade-offs fit with certain platforms. Like, I don't know, I would love to have amazing avatars in a game of chess, right? It would be a really, really cool thing to have a really, really visually realistic person on the other side of that or as animated as they want to be with a really creative avatar and all we're doing is playing a game of chess. Uh, that's the type of thing that I'm, I'm curious over time if, if that sort of happens to these platforms. Certain types of content make sense on them. I, I don't think the latency issue is as big as people make out. I think the signal drop issue is real for cloud streaming, but the latency issue is definitely overplayed, especially when it comes to conventional consoles. If you look at how much latency there actually is involved in a typical console game and in a TV, even the ones with game mode on, it's already quite high. And if you compare something like NVIDIA's uh, cloud game streaming running at 120 hertz to an Xbox a real Xbox console running at 60 hertz, the latency difference is almost nothing. And yes, if you're running a PC that already kind of is designed to have high uh, frame rate output, that's going to be better. But the vast majority of people are still playing these games on console. If they geofence this to your own city, so you know you can't play unless there is an actual GPU data center in your city, the latency issue shouldn't be any more problematic than running a local console. For VR, obviously that becomes more of an issue, but again, we were already uh, using streaming with VR. That's what virtual desktop and AirLink are. You're already compressing an image and sending it across a network. The only difference is that instead of coming from your PC to an Ethernet cable to your router, it would come from a PC in your city to a fiber cable to your router. And if if your internet connection is fast enough and low latency enough and the server is close enough, that really shouldn't actually feel that much different at all from a latency perspective. Yeah, let's get into this last big subject and let us know if you've got any comments about Pico or questions that you want us to address as we get into this. But Pico has had its big moment where they have had their huge announcement and true competition for Meta is finally here in standalone VR. Heaney, do you want to walk us through any of the things out there specifically we want to talk about before we get into the the discussion element of this. Yeah, so I think maybe we'll just go through the basic spec differences because that was what one of our uh, commenters asked at the start. Um, 
So I'll bring up the specs comparison that we have in our article. Please do read our article at uploadvr.com where we go into detail about this. But the biggest difference you'll notice between these two headsets is the dramatically different weight of the visor. And when I say the visor, I'm talking about the front box, the, the part that's on the front actually pushing against your face. Because Pico 4 uses pancake lenses rather than Fresnel lenses, and because it has the battery in the rear of the strap rather than being in that front visor, its visor weight is almost 40% lighter. It's Where the Quest 2 is 470 grams for the visor, Pico 4 is only 295 grams. And that is one of the dramatic differences that we've been talking about on this show for years. In fact, we've been talking about looking forward to this because it is one of the biggest blockers to using VR today. People don't want to put a brick on their face. They want it to be as light and comfortable as possible. And especially if you want people to want to use these headsets for more than just quick bursts of Beat Saber. If you want people en masse to buy and play a deep adventurous games that have hours and hours of gameplay it needs to actually be comfortable enough and quest 2 just isn't comfortable enough for many many people the other difference is uh you'll notice is that it has high resolution color pass through instead of low resolution black and white pass through so when you're setting up your room or, uh, or if you're just using the pass-through for something like a, a web browser experience in front of you, that's going to be a lot more comfortable. And it's something Meta is focusing on for Quest Pro. And then another major difference, of course, is that the resolution has gone up from 1832 by 1920 per eye to 2160 by 2160 per eye. The lens separation is also stepless now. So instead of having to choose between three positions that may not exactly match your eyes, Pico 4 has you set the adjustment in VR and the lenses are actually motorized. To me, this is the strangest part of this headset. It doesn't have eye tracking, so it's not actually automatically setting your IPD, but it the lenses do move themselves. I would love to know how much this cost Pico and why they decided to prioritize this feature over either making the price less expensive or other things. Because if you were to set your IPD by using a little kind of uh, adjustment mechanism on the side of the headset it doesn't seem like that would be particularly less convenient than doing this without eye tracking but obviously that's something that's in the pico 4 pro model which i see some people have been asking about in the comments pico told us that pico 4 pro will come to europe as pico 4 enterprise and will not be sold to consumers but we'll have to see whether that changes in the future I'm seeing Guy Godin, the creator of Virtual Desktop, saying, yes, finally competition in the standalone space. This is a good thing. Guy will have Virtual Desktop on the Pico 4. That was one of our stories that we had. And that is a big win for people who love to stream PC games because, uh, yeah, Virtual Desktop is a very well-used piece of software, very popular. And uh, being able to bring over things like Boneworks or... Uh, Half-Life Alex onto Pico from your PC locally is going to be a, a major thing that people are going to want to do with that device. And I'm seeing Bradley talk about price in China. Now, uh, Guy Godin, uh, Virtual Desktop, he's not going to launch Virtual Desktop inside of China. It will only be available in the global markets, the, the, the outside China uh, countries in which Pico 4 sells to. And I think that's probably going to be the case with a fair number of the developers on the headset. Uh, so it's it's interesting to think of, we're going to have to think about 
what Pico is doing in terms of which markets they're serving and which prices and the content libraries that are available for those specific markets. And uh, pricing here, Heaney, why don't you break down pricing and uh, we should talk about Bradley's maybe price uh, compared to what this is doing, Heaney. Yeah, so one thing I would caution there, if you're comparing euro prices here, because this is launching in Europe, not the United States, and Chinese prices and then back to dollars, is that America is fairly unique in that the prices in the US are given before sales tax. The prices you see here, 429 euros for the 128 gigabyte version, in Europe prices include the sales tax. So you can't compare them apple to apples like that. To get an understanding of how that price would equate to the European price, you would need to take off the 20% sales tax. But obviously, there are other reasons that it's cheaper for them to launch in an internal market, given there are costs involved in a Chinese company, you know, logistical costs of hiring Western support and warehousing and retail that aren't going to be included there. Uh, so that is fascinating. But to come back to our commenter's question at the very start of the stream, essentially, on paper at least, and from what we have seen in our colleague Harry's 10-minute demo, this is superior to Quest 2 in every way except that Quest 2 supports a lower range of IPDs. You get 58 millimeter support, whereas this uh, minimum is 62. Quest 2 has a headphone jack, so Pico 4, you would have to either use the built-in strap audio or Bluetooth, which adds some latency. And uh, there are some other minor differences that are better in Quest 2, such as the 120 hertz refresh rate. But in every other sense, not only is this better, but as Ian's pointing out here, it's cheaper. It is 429 euros for Pico 4, whereas Quest 2 recently was increased from 349 euros all the way up to 449. So it's strange to see this happen. Real competition for Meta a month after Meta increased the price of its product by $100 in the US and 100 euros in Europe. That is a very strange combination of events to happen in sequence. I... uh the, the spec chart, we're going to have to do multiple versions of this over time. We are trying to get our hands on the hardware for extended review. And 10 minutes uh, with the hardware is not, is not fair, right? We, we, we need to be able to spend extended time really evaluating a device for us to provide serious recommendations that you know our buyer our readers out there can make buying decisions about so uh i would recommend caution and waiting until we can get those impressions out if you're trying to get this fast but what do you want to talk about there heaney yeah just going to address a few comments here uh Megamorph and Anran are saying the IPD can go as low as 58 millimeters. Yes, you can set 58 millimeters in Pico 4, but from what Pico told me, the actual hardware caps out at 62. So just like on headsets like Rift S and Go that had no lens adjustment at all, you could set a digital IPD that will adjust the scale to be suitable for your eyes. But from what we have told, the lenses will not get closer than 62 millimeters. So in case you're wondering why that is, Quest 2 is using a single panel. So the lenses are moving, but the actual panel is staying still. And that means that there's no kind of limit of how close they get. Whereas Pico 4 is using dual panels, a panel for each lens. And thus there is going to be some, you know, internal electronics and housing around each panel. That means there's a minimum distance you can get them together. It's obviously a trade-off they had to involve here. Some people are rightly pointing out that you don't have to use Bluetooth for audio. You can, of course, use a USB-C to 3.5 millimeter dongle. But as with 
other products that use that, that means you don't have your USB-C port anymore. You can't, uh, for example, play while charging. So that is a slight limitation there. And obviously you have to go out and get that uh, USB-C adapter. And in my experience, using USB-C to headphone jack adapters on Android phones, that is far from perfect. And the the uh, compatibility there isn't universal, but we'll have to, that'll be something I'll be judging in my review. I will definitely try that. And hopefully Pico software is better than most Android phone makers. We've got a question out there asking whether the wireless Pico 4 PCVR is better than Quest 2. That is something we are going to have to test over uh, serious serious testing uh, back and forth once we have our, our access to the hardware over an extended period. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my editorial where I tried to summarize where we are relative to this, this VR market. So uh, four years ago, uh, almost now, Zuckerberg came out on stage. Mark Zuckerberg, Meta CEO, came out on stage and announced Quest. That you know, gave it a name and said it's going to be three ninety nine. Here we are, uh, almost four years later, and they're still hitting that price. They've had some fluctuations. They've lost some weight off of the device, uh, but it's now back at that same uh, three ninety nine price, and it's the product's way better than it initially was right they've improved by leaps and bounds the software the content you can get out of it but it has been meta in its space by itself there you know htc and uh, lenovo had products in uh, standalone vr but they backed out of consumer market they started selling only to businesses over time or even education use cases and the situation there is very different where people might make a decision to buy something that's more expensive simply because it has no connection to a social media company and to Facebook. And uh, the this moment that we've seen comes right as Meta is about to announce the Quest Pro. And I'm seeing in our comments a lot of people talking about uh, this pro version of a Pico to understand how it stacks up against this forthcoming Quest device. Because, you know, if you're making a buying decision, you want to have kind of all the information in your head. I, t- I totally understand kind of wanting to wait and weigh, oh, well, should I spend $800 more and go for a high end product? Or should I wait it out for the next generation? Or should I just go for the thing with the largest? uh game library like it's i understand everyone dying to know out out there but there are other things like he has brought up like which markets are actually allowed for this device to be sold in and um the thing i think i wonder about heaney is do you think if meta had said uh let's hold off on the quest pro for another year could they have gotten a Quest 3 out to market this year instead? Or did they make a very, you know, a choice years ago that this was the way they were going to do it? So I think they definitely could. They could have released a Quest 3 that is essentially what we see in Pico 4. From the signs of it, Meta would have prioritized having face and eye tracking over having something like a motorized lens separation adjustment. But Vaguely, when it comes to something like the general form factor, the weight, the slight increased resolution, they could have. The one, there is one major caveat, though, here, in that these headsets both use the same Snapdragon XR2 Gen 1 processor. 
Pico 4 adds a little bit more of RAM, but that's not going to really affect much in the grand scheme of things. So what I think Meta may be planning to do instead, and what would make sense from the perspective of what kind of games can you actually run on these headsets, is wait for a new processor for Quest 3. Something like the Snapdragon XR2 Gen 2, assuming it exists, assuming that's what's coming next. If you just release a Quest 3 that has the same processor as Quest 2, yes, it's a better headset, but it's not a better computer. It doesn't actually enable a new wave of games that Quest 2 didn't enable before. And yes, the weight of Quest 2 is one of the primary limiters, but I think it's arguable that the real limiter of Quest 2's current market potential is its limited computing power. It's the fact that you don't get those ultra high fidelity games that you're going to get on PlayStation VR 2. You don't get the games that are only available on PC VR. And so every time that they can introduce a more powerful processor, they get closer and closer to the kind of graphics and game scope that the, the vast majority of consumers are expecting. And so that's what I think they're waiting for to do for a Quest 3, but we'll see. Yeah, Guy Godin making the joke, a terrible naming with XR Gen 2. Uh, yeah, we will be cur- I'll be curious if they change the naming by the time that actually hits market. And of course, one of the subjects we covered previously uh, on this show is that Qualcomm and Meta have agreed to a multi-year partnership to develop future chips. And we put questions to both of those companies, to Qualcomm and Meta, to try to understand, well, uh, in you know, one of the questions was, are these products exclusive to Meta? And the answer was no, they are not. So the question then becomes, what exactly does Meta get out of this? And uh, that's, I think, still to be seen. Like we got a, we got kind of a, a not you know not a great answer. Like the answer wasn't all very detailed to that question. I think part of the reason we didn't get a detailed answer is it would have given away too much about Meta's future product lines to say anything more significant than that at this time. Well, I, th- I think, as I said at the time, I'm pretty sure it's because they need a better chip to compete with Apple. It's better for Meta to have access to better chips, even if the rest of the Android VR headset makers like Pico have it, than to not at all. Meta would rather put itself in a better position against Apple, even if it puts itself in a worse position against Pico. Because yes, Pico was serious competition, but in the grand scheme of things, in the long term, Apple is likely to be much more serious competition to Meta. Just to pick up on a few kind of detailed things in the comments here, there are definitely some unanswered questions around this headset. And one of the issues is that when we're getting information, we're getting it from kind of the European Pico team. But the people who are really making decisions and building these products are in China, and many of them don't speak English. So there's definitely a kind of issue of communications becoming less clear as they go further and further from Pico's headquarters down to us. One of the issues here is, for example, Anran is saying that if you go to 58 millimeters, the warning is the lenses might hit your nose. And that implies that it does go less than 62 millimeters. But again, I asked Pico and they were they told us that the minimum is 62 millimeters. So that could be a miscommunication and that's something we'll find out in a review. Another open question that commenters are bringing up is the field of view. Pico says that the field of view is 105 degrees diagonal. They also say that it's larger than the Pico 3.0. Pico Neo 3 Link, which was very similar to Quest 2. And as people are pointing out in the comments, this doesn't really add up because Quest 2's field of view is larger than 105 degrees diagonal. So 
is something going wrong here? How exactly is Pico measuring this? And Anne Ran is saying that the field of view is 105 on both axes, but that wouldn't then make it 105 diagonal. So this is a, a fascinating thing. And because Meta doesn't give a field of view statistic at all, we decided in our specs comparison to just not include field of view because there's no point in putting two measures that are differently measured. In our actual review, when we get this, <laughs> that will be something that we are absolutely measuring. I will be using a piece of software that allows me to go into the headset and actually measure what is the field of view that my eyes can see. And that's what I'll be reporting in the review. Yeah, I was thinking of about the conversion of Schrute Bucks to Stanley Nichols there in reference to field of view. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's that's one of those things that we really have to put our eyes in. And I think uh, I really appreciated Heaney's summary there of the, the lost in translation layers that, that can happen, right? Uh, it's something that we as a journalism organization are going to have to work really hard to push through the, the, the layers of marketing that happen. Uh, we see it in just all the companies we report about where if we're talking to the actual developer of software, we've got Guy Godin, the creator of Virtual Desktop, who is hand coding all of the work in Virtual Desktop. That is a very different person to have talking to us or even talking to our, our, our viewers than a PR representative who is reading off a spec sheet. Uh, and we've got to work through those layers and get to the actual core of this information. And uh, we're, we're going to do that. We're going to be after that. But it's something you as consumers and people who want to buy this hardware need to kind of ingest and understand in the back of your head that when you go and buy things or see marketing, they're coming from completely different places a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> I'm going to talk about the the worst segment of that video, which just I you know Heaney and I uh, were at our keyboards trying to make sure we're covering everything happening out of this Pico News event and give it all of the attention it deserves. And uh, one of the stories that we looked at and they announced in this Pico video was their own version of Horizon World. So they're called it's called Pico Worlds and. I put a little article on this and I watched the segment of the video that Heaney pointed me to. And I just wanted to tear my hair out because uh, this segment of the video is all conceptual CGI footage. They're not actually showing anything. And then even the words that Pico is reading off for explaining what they're aiming to do with their version of Horizon Worlds reads like a weird boilerplate that makes no sense whatsoever right like it's we want to have something that works with other social worlds it's just i've seen this sort of thing before where i have no idea what they're meaning it reads like uh, an nft uh nft metaverse pitch that's just throwing buzzwords at the wall and trying to get people uh to zoom in and get excited for something when the underlying reason why this thing exists in the first place doesn't make a lot of sense. So, uh, but yeah, it, it exists. It, you know, this this idea that Pico wants to do this, they put it out into the world, and we have to have as much skepticism as possible in saying, "Hey, they said it. I don't know what it means, but they they apparently want to do it." Heaney, uh, <laughs> have I been overly unfair to this segment of Pico's talk? No, I th I think you're. 
absolutely right to say that there was almost no detail shown. The most detailed thing was this screenshot that we brought up, and it looks like a pretty shameless copy of the Horizon Worlds in VR creation UI. And Guy Godin has has asked an interesting question. Why copy something that's likely going to fail? I don't get it. Well, there's two possibilities there. One, Pico has said, oh, Meta's doing that. Therefore, there must be a good reason that Meta is doing that. Therefore, we should do it too. And possibility two is that it's not going to fail. And, you know, you really need to perhaps examine the possibility that the assumption that this kind of thing isn't going to be vastly appealing to people in the long term could just be a faulty assumption. But I do think it's probably option one. It's probably that Pico saw Meta doing Horizon Worlds and said, we want to do our own. Because there was... Let's be honest, there was quite a lot of copying in Pico's presentation when it comes to Meta. And this is something that is very common in Chinese consumer electronic brands. Xiaomi and Huawei often shamelessly copy iOS's design right down to the colors. And that's something that we saw too in the Pico presentation. If you saw the new Pico OS 5.0 user interface, down to the very layout and colors, it was in many cases a copy of the Quest 2 UI. And that's fine, you know, I guess if it works, there's no need to change it. But I was personally hoping to see if we have a competitor meta, I was hoping to see a new approach to the VR home UI or something unique or something different rather than just literally copying with no extra thought added. Yeah. And uh, Chris Richardson making the comment, you got to start somewhere. And that is very much the the startup mindset, the fake it till you make it mindset that is out there in a lot of places, and we understand it, and we see it a lot in our work, but it is very hard to gel together the fact that Pico 4 is a real physical hardware product. We put it up to our eyes. We tried it out for 10 minutes, to be fair. And then there's also these things that are just way out more far-fetched. And should you figure that into your buying decision, the the more far-fetched stuff? No, you probably shouldn't, even though uh, that's kind of what they're going for, right? Like they want to let you know that they're trying to achieve on all the same things that Meta is achieving on. But at the end of the day, once we get our hands on this product for an extended period of time, we will be able to make those charts and those comparisons that really say, okay, you've got 20 of the top 25 apps on Pico. You've got 25 of the top 25 apps on Quest. You've got uh, all these different things to consider as real. So we we thank you for tuning into us. Keep coming back to us. And we're going to keep trying to get to the core of these things over time. And uh, totally understand all the reasons why Pico included those further reaching ideas they've got there. But uh, just want to make sure our audience kind of knows that it's it's not the same kind of marketing uh, necessarily as they're used to. Yeah, well, to be fair, Meta has done quite a lot of that themselves. In the most recent Meta Connect, there was as much talk about CGI far-flung ideal concepts that don't exist at all as there was actual practical announcements of real products and updates. And so this is something we're seeing happen with Pico too. You're, you're muted, Ian. I don't know what you're What's saying. with the target on the wall? I, I don't know. It's just what they happen to have on their wall. To me, my real question is, what's what the hell is this? It looks like a watch <laughs> that's like <laughs> melting down the side of the... Uh, the nose here looks like an alien. This does look like an alien body. This doesn't look... Uh, this looks... Yeah, okay. I'm. I'm 
the more I look at it, the more I'm creeped out at like a it could be like a, a surreal lizard layer. It probably is a rendering. In fact, it doesn't look like a real image. But yeah, this is something that all hardware manufacturers do. Uh, <laughs> Sally's probably saying it's a dally clock. Yeah, um, it'll be really, really interesting to see how this competes overall with Quest 2 in Europe. And obviously the big question we've seen a lot of our commenters ask is, is this thing coming to the US? The answer is right now, we don't know. But in July, Meta or Pico did post a job listing referring to head of consumer sales, managing, launching this product in the US. So I would expect that this is something that definitely is going to eventually come to the US. The biggest buyer there would be the regulation. Uh, commenters, including the SIO, are, are saying, you know, Pico Pro is less than $600 based on looking at China prices. Like I was pointing out earlier, you cannot just look at a Chinese price and convert it into US dollars and think that that's what this product will sell for. Uh, there are extreme costs involved in a company in China selling to the Western world, the logistical costs of having support and warehousing and retail and all of the regional costs of getting content done. So they will not cost that low. If you look at, as people have pointed out, the Pico 4 is priced lower in China than it is here. Uh, also, from what we were told, Pico 4 Pro is not launching to consumers in the West. It is going to be pitched as Pico 4 Enterprise and sold to businesses. So if, if you're looking, if your interest here is in the Pro model, from what we've heard and been told so far, that's not something you're going to get as a consumer from Pico, uh, which makes the question of Pico 4 Pro versus Quest Pro a lot more interesting uh, in the long term. Maybe Pico 4 Pro will come to the West, but for now, you're still going to get in the Quest Pro from what we've seen in the leaks and rumors so far. Uh, QLED screens, that mini LED screens that should have better contrast, more face tracking cameras, so you have higher fidelity face tracking, a depth sensor, so that eventually you'll be able to get automatic meshing of your room, and self tracking controllers that don't have any uh, tracking ring at all. So there are some kind of features that are not going to be available there but the majority of what people are looking for in a more advanced product does seem to be coming for pico 4 pro so it is a shame that from what we've been told they don't plan to come to the west yeah we uh i've seen the question asking when we're going to have the review we don't have a specific timeline i think we can share at this moment we do sort of expect it in october but things can change and we don't want to make any promises uh based on uh just how things go. But uh, yeah, um, the the thing that I thought was interesting in my my uh, breakdown, my editorial, uh, Meta seems to be doing, or at least beginning, what may be a process where they introduce new features in a super high-end device and then follow it up with a new lower-end device that maybe brings over some of the things in the higher-end device. The comment from John Carmack at, uh, you know, I think it was even early last year, suggesting that it's going to take years for Meta to figure out exactly all the things they can do with that Quest Pro headset. And so they're already designing the Quest 3 with a lot of assumptions in place Uh over what's what's going to be the features and where they're going to be, and I I just don't know. Like I I do kind of see what Carmack was saying, where he suggested just doing what Quest Two does, 
faster, smaller, clearer is the pathway forward. But there is a belief inside Meta that there are going to be additional sensors needed to drive additional features down the line. And one of those key ones uh, we're also going to probably be testing in the very near future, right? Uh, as soon as Quest Pro, Pro is out there, I know Heaney can't, is not going to be able to help himself from trying to get those sensors up and running in the studio as soon as possible. Is that a, a, a wrong assumption here, Heaney? No, definitely for sure. It's going to be something that dramatically changes the nature of our show when you'll be able to see our real facial expressions and our real eye movement. As regular viewers of the show will know, our eye movement is simulated based on marking objects in the room by visual saliency. Our mouth movement is simulated just based on our microphone input. But with Quest Pro and Pico 4 Pro, though we may not be able to get it for the reason of it being an enterprise product in the West, that's going to significantly change. Jinxed for Life asks a really interesting question here, which uh, you say, I know it's a very annoying question. It's not, don't worry, but I'm new to VR and can you let me know currently which standalone VR you should go for gaming? This is something that we will be addressing after our review of Pico 4, because remember, this is an announced product. It is not yet a release product. One of the things I would say in general is be very cautious of anyone who tries to give you dramatic conclusions and reviews based on having 10 minutes plus a spec sheet with the product. You cannot review something like this until you have it for hours and hours and you know the actual launch lineup and all of the final details of what it's like to really own it in your real home. So we will answer that question once we actually have Pico 4 in our actual daily lives to use. But the first thing I would say is if you're in the United States, Pico 4 is not launching in the United States. So your only real option is Quest 2. Yeah. And I'm just going to add to, to that because, yes, I appreciate Heaney uh, saying that and Bradley uh, in the comments echoing that saying don't listen to spec sheets. Uh, I'm just going to to go and say that the Quest 2, though, is also a safe bet. Right, but if you're really trying to decide which is better, yes, wait for the reviews. But I'm just going to say that Quest Two, they've announced so much coming up on the product line, and there's so much already in that ecosystem that you're not making a bad decision by going with a Quest Two. But you might be, uh, you know, might be surprised by what Pico Four is able to deliver compared to that. As soon as those reviews are out there, yeah, I, I would say if you're in Europe, don't buy a Quest Two right now. That's what I would personally say. I would say, you know, you're going to get Pico Four reviews in a couple of weeks, so you might as well wait for that. I think this would be an awful time for a European to buy a Pico Four. Uh, but as we've said, if you're in the United States, that's a very different equation, and. Obviously, I'm not going to preempt the review, but in many ways, as Ian mentioned, it is going to come down to the content. I expect that the conclusion is essentially going to be, do you want the better hardware or the better content library? But then again, over time, if Pico 4 does start to gain momentum, the difference in that content library is going to get narrower and narrower. Pico has already announced their own first exclusive with Just Dance VR. But Meta will still have that mode of exclusives. You won't be able to play Beat Saber on the Pico 4, at least not natively unless you own a gaming PC. You won't be able to play Population 1. You won't be able to play Resident Evil 4. You won't be able to play Medal of Honor. You won't be able to presumably play Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. 
you won't be able to access some of Meta's first-party tools like Horizon Workrooms. There are content-wise going to be significant downsides to owning something to owning the Pico 4. But if those games and apps aren't what you care about, and if you really care about the comfort and weight, then you're going to really want to wait to see how those Pico 4 reviews turn out. Yeah, the the Pico 4 uh, with virtual desktop uh, is going to be a really interesting thing in my head, right? Because you are you're opening up a content library there uh, way beyond what's on standalone with the increased comfort that we expect out of that device. But again, yes, wait for reviews. Wait as wait, wait until you've got extended time. And uh, just, you know, when you see people reviewing products on 10 minutes of time or even a half hour of time, you're going to have to put that in the back of your mind and uh, you know, remember that they did it that way because uh, you know you, you're going to find you're going to have to find sources that take the time to really assess that uh, in order for a you know to make better decisions for yourself. Yeah, and Funky asking has Pico announced any exclusive? Yeah, Heaney just mentioned it. There was the one. Just Dance is their first uh, big major announced exclusive, but it's probably just the beginning, as Heaney said as well. Yeah, Any other comments that, that we want to respond to? Yeah, we know that Pico has set up Pico Studios in which they are both funding Quest developers to port their games over to Pico and looking to fund their own exclusives. So as Ian mentioned, Just Dance VR is likely to be only the first of Pico's exclusives. And it's possible that in a few years' time, the exclusive portfolio between Quest 2 and Pico 4 or you know whatever Quest headsets out by then is going to be a lot closer than people imagine. It may be the kind of exclusive differences between PlayStation and Xbox rather than between, you know, having no exclusives and lots of exclusives. So that's going to be fascinating to see. A lot of people underestimated how serious ByteDance were about this VR launch. And a lot of people were suggesting that they weren't going to invest in content at all. But we were saying on this show that it's extremely likely that ByteDance was going to invest significantly in content. And that seems to be what we're seeing. Uh, Chris Richardson asking a comment, will Quest 2 controllers work with Quest Pro if you don't want the new track controllers? I don't think so. And the the controllers come with Quest Pro anyway. So, I mean, if you don't want them, you're going to get them anyway, unfortunately. Another interesting thing, I think, just to put in the back of your mind when it comes to exclusives is uh, we've gone through kind of a an evolution in the way we report about that where uh, timed exclusives and platform locked exclusives are two different things. And it's hard for me to imagine uh, developers out there platform locking uh, in standalone right now. Uh, It's, you know, it's one of the reasons I think meta went out and acquired all of these developers is that is a way to sort of platform lock some of your best content in vr whereas you know it's surprising to me if if pico goes and funds a just dance to exclusively come to pico in 2023 are we is that a timed exclusive or a platform locked exclusive is still an open question we don't know and so there's always a chance and it makes sense from a development perspective to give pico a period of exclusivity and then take the whole thing and put it on another platform with what may be more people to sell to and uh the same thing for all some of the exclusives that hit the oculus ecosystem going over to pico and others 
it did seem to say coming exclusively to Pico and the timed exclusives we've seen so far in Meta say on other consoles always say coming first to. The, so I the think, language I do was think it's coming to Pico in 2023, coming exclusively would, in 2023. Yeah, it was coming. Yeah. So I guess you could say maybe it's coming to others in 2024, but I I doubt that Pico is going to be investing too much in timed exclusives given how, much, how many permanent exclusives Meta has built up because that's what they really need. Uh, to compete uh, just to come back to that point obviously about you know the 10 minute impressions versus reviews that was something that i definitely find interesting with our playstation vr2 impressions where some people were criticizing and saying you know why aren't you drawing more conclusions and more detail and my answer was because like everyone else we had you know 10 minutes per demo this is not something that we owned in our homes it wasn't something that we actually could use outside very controlled demo conditions and i would really caution you to not take seriously anyone who's trying to draw massive conclusions from 10 minute demos in any hardware another a question i'm seeing here uh, sorry wolver is saying quest pro controllers are obviously not for gaming i'd love to expand on that from everything we understand quest pro controllers are superior to quest 2 controllers and they're essentially just the quest 2 controllers without a tracking ring and perhaps more advanced triggers and haptic capabilities yeah, we're going to have to see. I'm I'm still uh, of the mindset that full body tracking might be, you know, Heaney keeps pointing out that the cameras on those Quest Pro controllers are pointing in the wrong direction. I get it. But uh, you're not always holding the controllers uh, in ways that they're always facing away from you. So I, I really hope and think that there's this comment that Andrew Bosworth, the CTO of Meta, has made. And he talked about machine learning. He was, I think his his background and expertise from college was in AI learning. And so this was uh, you know, this this the lead technical officer at Meta saying that uh humans are thought of as the top tier of pattern recognition. And what's the truth of this latest wave of technology? is that machine learning algorithms are better pattern finders than humans. And it is a creepy thing to you know, ingest that, to absorb that idea. But if you take that to its eventual conclusion, there's going to be unexpected features raising out of machine learning. And I, and I do think that uh, the idea that... Uh, we could get full body tracking over the length of Quest Pro or Quest Pro 2 is a really, it feels like it's almost within grasp, but uh, obviously we'll have to see. I don't know. We'll see. I do think we should expect to see significant updates driven by machine learning because as we pointed out before, when you ask what is Meta's actual advantage here, what is its moat compared to competitors like Pico? It is that Meta is one of the top three leading AI research divisions in the world. It is that it's putting out uh, capabilities that are significantly more advanced than what something like Pico has access to. And if you actually look at Pico's core technology isn't even its own. Their tracking and their hand tracking and all of that core technology is actually coming from Qualcomm, their Snapdragon Spaces platform, which Pico has used to basically bootstrap their business. There is obviously an issue there in that they have to then rely on Qualcomm always keeping up with Meta, and then also the fact that they have to hope that Qualcomm's partnerships with Meta don't cloud its strategic interest in keeping up with Meta in that sense. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic to look at there. 
Uh, yes, please also go out there and like our video, share it out. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate all the comments. This is very, very good discussion. Had to boot a few people out of the discussion this week, but, uh, you know, mostly spam, not arguing. Um, and, uh, we are going to be on top of all of this next generation of computing. Uh, we are trying, you know, PSVR 2 is coming. Apple is working on a headset. I've seen the comments talking about how the uh, Quest Pro may be more geared toward competing with what Apple is doing than what Pico is doing. And I think that's a very, uh, very, very real possibility. Oh, wow. Thank you, Terry. Great VR content. Keep it flowing. Thank you so much for the donation there. And uh, yes, uh, Heaney, what else do you want to get into here before we start moving towards the wrap up here? I was just going to expand on what you were saying before about these updates being such a dramatic thing. We need to remember that Quest 1 launched with 2D pass-through, you know, flat, non-depth, correct pass-through, and no controller-free hand tracking. And by the end of its cycle, it had controller-free hand tracking and 3D pass-through and kind of static object detection when you were setting up your Guardian. So I expect we'll see the same thing happen with Quest Pro. I think Quest Pro will likely not have very many advanced mixed reality and computer vision features at launch, but because it has those high resolution color cameras and more importantly, that depth sensor that is not present in the Pico 4 or Pico 4 Pro, that gives them a lot of runway and a lot of hardware to eventually leverage with future software updates. And I expect that's what we'll see with Quest Pro. It'll probably launch a fairly mediocre mixed reality headset, but over time be geared up to get better and better at being a competitor for the mixed reality experience that Apple is looking to push in their headset. Gee, right here with a comment. You have to look at the fact that lots of engineers and researchers have left Meta recently. Their stock is tanking and they are bleeding talent like crazy. A good portion of their salary are stocks. That is an interesting uh, comment, uh, but I still think there's lots and lots of people at Meta. Uh, it's it's it, I, it's interesting to think of how this works out for the competitors, right? Meta is known for sometimes hiring engineers at multiples of what they're getting offered by competitors. So can you imagine going out and looking for a job and uh, – expecting a salary of $180,000 a year, and then another company comes along and offers you almost half a million. Uh, that's the type of you know gap that has been for some positions uh, out there for, for some of these organizations. And now uh, you're trying to enter this space and compete for talent. How do you compete with that, right? Do you afford the best can you afford the best in the world at those rates or do you take the people who are uh not necessarily the best uh looking to move on because their salary their their stock is tanked um and i don't know that, that you get the same bang for your buck over the the length of time um any other comments there that we should respond to yeah, I was just going to respond to Guy's comment myself and that you know we we do track linkedin to look at the kind of key meta engineers and researchers and we haven't noticed that trend at all to be honest maybe that's true across the wider business when it comes to the family of apps as instagram and uh whatsapp but when it comes to the meta researchers and engineers that are producing the the research and leading the product teams and kind of developing things the only one i've seen recently is that the person behind 
asynchronous space warp left to go to Pico, presumably because they want to release their own space warp system. But I haven't seen any other of their major engineers bleed yet. Yeah, Arcanian saying, "If Meta offered me half a million, I'm sorry, but I'm gone." And that's uh that's the I'm I'm throwing out random numbers out there, but a lot of people have gone to Meta because of those uh, crazy numbers that they've been uh, offered. Uh, we have a big week forming together. Uh, Walkabout Mini Golf has a new DLC coming out. We've obviously got Bone Lab coming out. That is a monster of a game release coming down the line. Tomorrow, we've got Backseat VR Developer, where Alex and Skiva from Between Realities are playing Pixel Ripped 1995. And then, uh, obviously, longer term, we have Connect coming up, PSVR to consider, Apple News to consider. And, uh, of course, the Quest Pro launch looming right next to Pico 4. We're going to be on top of everything. And make sure to like, comment, subscribe, tune into us in the future. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be watching that Carmack talk. That's the thing I'm most excited about from Connect, Aren't you, Heaney? Oh, for sure. He really tells it how it is more than anyone at any of the major tech companies. And it's so refreshing to see. All right. Well, we'll see you in the future. Thank you again. We will uh, be back here probably on Tuesday at uh, 10. I've lost. I now no longer recognize time because we've jumped around so much. But yeah, 10 on Tuesdays is when we're normally broadcasting uh, unless something comes up. And uh, yeah, we appreciate all of your comments and be sure to hit the like button. We'll see you later. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for the great quality of conversation. And we hope to see you again next week.